Hi, I'm Joel McMahon, pastor at San Philip United Methodist Church, and I just welcome you to this podcast from San Philip on this beautiful February the 7th Sunday, and so glad that you've tuned in. Before we go any further, let's bow our heads for a moment of prayer. Lord, we do thank you for this beautiful day. We thank you for uh, the way that you shower blessings upon us just over and over again. We thank you for, more than anything else, your presence in our lives, which makes everything just so worthwhile. And we pray, O oh Lord, that you'll be with us, that you'll just open your word to us and help us to open our hearts to you now. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, you know, we've been looking at Jonah the last couple of Sundays, and I want to just continue on by looking at uh, the first chapter of Jonah. We're just going to be reading verses 1 through 3. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, the great city, and cry against it, for their wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah rose up to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. So he went down to Joppa, found a ship which was going to Tarshish, paid the fare, and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. May God add his blessing to the reading of his word today. And, uh, you know, if, like if we've been looking at Jonah, and if you'll remember, Jonah is Hebrew for the word dove. And uh, dove was a nickname or uh, just a, a name, a label that was given to Bible scholars. And one of the things that comes out of even the title of the book of Jonah is that if you study God's word, sooner or later, God, God's going to speak to you. He's going to make himself known. Now, the thing is, this is what happened to Jonah. But Jonah didn't like what God had to say. And he didn't want to do what God wanted him to do. And so what did he do? What did he do? He just hooked him. He headed off to Tarshish. And the reason what he was trying to do, have you noticed this? He was trying to flee from the presence of, of God. Jonah's not the first one to ever try to get out of the presence of God. If you'll recall, in the uh, uh, book of Genesis, we see Adam and Eve in the garden, and the Lord would walk with them in the cool of the day. But after they sinned, after they ate from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, what did they want to do? They wanted to stay away from the presence of God. Now, there are, the thing is, you can't get out of the presence of God uh, because he is everywhere. Uh, the word that's used to describe it is omnipresence the omnipresence of God. In Psalm 139, this is one of the things that uh, uh, 
uh, David uh, expresses so eloquently. And summing it all up, it says, no matter where I go, you're there. I cannot get away from you. You are there. He is everywhere. He is omnipresent. There's the omnipresence of God, and then there's also the inner presence of God. This is something that was promised to us whenever Jesus had his uh, disciples together for that last meal. He promised that he would send the Holy Spirit, and the one that had been with them was going to be in them, talking about the, the presence of God, the inner presence, not just with them, but in them, in their inner being, they were going to share uh, his presence in their lives deeply. So there's the omnipresence of God, there's the inner presence of God, and then there's the manifest presence of God. And that is when God makes himself known. Whenever uh, you, uh, well, uh, I'll give you an example when I was serving my first church, as I was praying uh, at the beginning of the service, I just uh, prayed, Lord, we just today just ask that you would just make yourself known in a, just a real way to us today. And as I got to that point in the prayer, all of a sudden there was a big clap of thunder and then kind of a crack. And I had a flash before my eyes. My eyes were closed, but there was a flash of light in the inside the building. And so I opened my eyes and I looked around and everyone in the sanctuary, I watched them raise their heads up. I watched them, wait there, their heads were already raised, but they were just looking bug-eyed just sitting there still and stiff. And I had no idea what had happened, but later on after the service, I found out right after I asked the Lord to manifest himself in a, in a special way, thunder sounded and I didn't know it. The light came from behind me. It was like a blue electrical light that shot out of both the walls of the choir uh, area behind me and met right behind me. And so they were, I had their attention for, they, I've never had a, a, a congregation pay so close attention as they did that morning. But see, God manifested his presence. He made himself known in the worship service that morning. And he makes himself known in so many ways. He manifests himself. Uh, you know, just his presence, one of the, well, whenever in my home, uh, I have a study. And many times I could be up in my study working and my wife, Sharon, will be somewhere else in the house. But you know, there's always a sense of, of her presence here in the house. When she's gone, that sense of her presence isn't there. It's a real sense. It's if somebody else is in the house, you sense that there's someone present in the house with you. 
Now, I, it's the same way with the Lord. You sense his presence with you. Every born-again believer is going to know the presence of God in his life. Um, I first experienced that presence after I'd been thinking I was a Christian for many years, but I hadn't resolved in my heart that I was going to do what he wanted me to do. Up till that point, it had been just me and my buddy, God. But after I came to really know him and realize that my sin separated me from him and that I had never really appropriated what Jesus did on the cross for my sins, and when I realized my sins separated me from God and there was nothing I could do about it, and I realized that if I didn't do something about it, I was going to spend eternity in hell. And I, not knowing what to do, I just cried out and said, Jesus, help me. And all of a sudden, there was a presence just right there in the room with me. And that presence was the presence of just unmitigated love. And all of a sudden, I knew his love was all that mattered. His acceptance was all that mattered. His approval was the only approval I needed in this world. Everything else just came out of that. Well, the thing is, from that moment on, I have sensed his presence with me in a way that I never knew it before that time. And it really became clear to me whenever I was out in my hometown of Cleveland, Texas one day, and I stopped by to visit at the uh, graves of my grandparents in the cemetery out there. And as I was standing there, just grieving the loss of the presence of my grandparents, because in their presence, I felt unconditionally loved. They loved me in a way that nobody else ever did and made me feel accepted in a way that nobody else ever did. But they were gone. And I was just grieving the fact that I didn't have that source of love and acceptance anymore. And all of a sudden, I realized something. I thought, now wait a minute. I am still sensing that same feeling, that same presence with me right now, and it's the Lord. And I realized that any goodness I'd ever felt from any person ever, they had just been a conduit of God's love and God's grace to me. For David, his presence was the most important thing. He calls it letting God's face shine upon him. Uh, his One of his greatest concerns was that the Lord would hide his face from him and uh, that is withdraw his manifest presence from him. In Psalm 27, 9, he pleads, Hide not thou face far from me, 
Put not thy servant away in anger. Thou hast been my help. Leave me not, neither forsake me, O God of my salvation. And then Psalm 69, 17, he says, And hide not thy face from thy servant, for I am in trouble. Hear me speedily. Psalm 102, Hide not thy face from me in the day when I am in trouble. Incline thine ear unto me. In the day when I call, answer me speedily. Some of you, well, in Numbers 6.22, the Lord says something to Moses that makes it clear just how important God's presence is. And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Speak unto Aaron and unto his son, saying, on this wise ye shall bless the children of Israel, saying, uh, saying unto them, The Lord bless thee and keep thee. The Lord make his face shine upon thee and be gracious unto you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon thee and give thee peace. As the Lord lifts up his countenance upon you, as he lets his face shine upon you, you're going to feel you're in his peace. To lift up countenance doesn't necessarily mean just to raise a head. It means to smile. May the Lord smile on you. Whenever you see how the corners of my mouth went up, my face is lifted up when I smile. When I frown, my countenance is down. And that's the way it is. When the Lord lets his face shine upon you and lets his countenance shine upon you, when he lifts up his countenance upon you, he smiles at you. Now then, some of the most frightening words in the Bible are found in Exodus 33 verses 1 through 3, where, the God, where God uh, had met with Moses after he had come down uh, from receiving the Ten Commandments. And while, you see, while Moses was gone, his brother had led the people in a revolt against God. The people gave Aaron their bracelets and earrings and different uh, pieces of uh, precious metal. And out of that, Aaron made a golden calf and the people worshipped that golden calf. And due to their sin, the Lord decided to remove his presence from them. And he told Moses that he was going to give the people his presence. No, he, was going to, he wasn't going to give them his presence. He was going to give them his protection and provision. And he would fulfill, fulfill his promise to them in the land of Canaan. But he was not going to go with them into the land. He wasn't going to let his face shine upon them. Later, and whenever they heard this, they panicked and they repented because they knew without his presence, they did not stand a chance. Well, you know what? There are many Christians today who do not have the conscious presence of God in their lives. Uh, 
And the thing is, you can't settle for God's protection, his provision, or his promises without his presence. When I first started the ministry some 45 years ago, the charismatic movement was going on. And I learned a lot from my charismatic brothers and sisters in Christ. But some of them were off track. Some of them, sad to say, concentrated on his promises. And they discovered that his, the Lord would fulfill his promises. And so they would for, were continually demanding that God fulfill his promises. And you know what? God honored his word over and over and over again. But you know what? Without his presence, I had a lot of brothers and sisters in Christ fall away because they hadn't concerned themselves about his presence. They confused his promise and his power with his presence. We need his presence in our lives. Now, there are four things that will just suck the presence of God from us. Four things that will rob us of God's manifested presence in our lives. And they're the arch enemies of worship and of truly enjoying God's presence. And there's a danger that this can happen to all of us. Um, a long time ago, D.L. Moody had just finished a service and the uh, one of the ladies that had been listening came up and asked him, have you ever been filled with the Holy Spirit? And he said, why, yes, ma'am, I have been filled many times with the Holy Spirit. And she was just aghast because she was one of these people that thought she could only be filled one time. And she was just, she said, well, why did you have to be filled more than once? And he said, because I leak. And what I'm going to share with you is the way that I leak and the way that you can find yourself in danger of leaking as well. And as you fall into these traps, the Holy Spirit can be just moved out of our lives. The first, direct disobedience. That was Jonah, wasn't it? I mean, he just got on board that ship and choom, just tried to take off and uh, just didn't want to be in God's presence. Well, direct obedience is one way, but this is something that comes out of it. At the very end of the gospel, or of the book of Jonah, you will find the Lord sitting with him, basically. He's speaking to him. Just like a parent would sit down with a four-year-old pouting child and try to explain the way things were. You see, Jonah knew God's character. He knew God's word. He knew that if he went and warned the Ninevites, they would repent. And not only that, this is the part that Jonah didn't like. He knew God's character, and he knew that 
God was going to forgive those Ninevites. And he said, that's why I ran away. I didn't want to do this because I knew what you were going to do. And I didn't want you to spare them. So you see, Jonah has a lot of growing to do. He knows about God. He knows a lot about God. But one of the things he doesn't have down yet is the fact that he's not supposed to hate Ninevites. And so the Lord sits down with him and he has already given him a lesson through a, a vine that grew up and shaded him and then disappeared. And he tries to explain to, Nona, to, to Jonah that he loves Ninevites and Jonah should too. But you see, he's patient with Jonah just as he was patient with the Ninevites. In fact, Peter says that this way, that the Lord isn't slack or slow concerning his, pre his return, but he is long-suffering. He is patient, not wishing for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance for all to come to him. And when we directly disobey, things are going to happen. You see, many people will, well, I'm going to give you another example. Adam and Eve were the first to di directly disobey God. And up to that point, they walked with the Lord in the cool of the day. But after they sinned after they fell, they hid themselves from God. They didn't feel like they should be around him anymore. They didn't want his presence. They feared his presence. Many people confess faith in the Lord Jesus, but they don't have his presence in their lives and they don't have an assurance of their salvation. When we willingly and knowingly disobey God, you see, we grieve the Holy Spirit. And when we grieve the Holy Spirit, we quench the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is to us what the pillar of cloud and of fire were to the children of Israel. The Holy Spirit is God's manifested presence in our lives but he is a gentleman. He doesn't hang around where he's not welcome. And when we deliberately disobey God, we grieve his Holy Spirit and we quench the Spirit. And when we do that, even though he is still omnipotent, he ceases to be real in our lives. And we can begin to even doubt our salvation. The other thing is our divided devotion. Uh, an idol is anything we love more, that we fear more, that we serve more, and trust more than God. Is there anyone or anything that takes precedence over God in your life? Is there anyone or anything that is 
a greater controlling factor of your behavior than God? Is there a relationship that means more to you than your relationship with God? Is there anything that gets more of your attention than God? If so, you're going to wind up grieving the Holy Spirit and you're not going to know his presence. So there's, first of all, direct disobedience. And secondly, there's divided devotion. You have to put God first. You can't put a husband or a wife above God. You cannot put your children above God. You can't put father or mother above God. Anyone you put above God causes you to lose that sense of his presence. When you put him first, he'll help you to be a good husband. He'll help you to be a good wife. He'll help you to be a good child. He'll help you to be a good parent. Next thing, displaced dependence. When God gives us a victory and we give the glory to someone or something else, we, that we, we then depend on that person or thing rather than upon God, and we'll lose the presence of our God in our lives. You know, uh, there are many people that they think that they can't count on God to meet all their needs. And this is where addictions come from. They they wind up, you can be addicted to alcohol, to drugs, to sex, to popularity, to approval, to love. You can be addicted to so many things from other people and depend on them as a source for meeting your needs instead of God. And you're going to be involved in idol worship and he cannot help you until you turn away from those idols and turn to him. You can be uh, dependent on your own self-sufficiency. The Lord warned the children of Israel that they were getting ready to enter into the promised land. He said, whenever you get there, you're going to build your houses. You're going to get your fields all set uh, up and you're going to get your crops in. And all of a sudden, you're going to start saying, look what we have done. Look what we have accomplished. And you're going to get so far away from me that if somebody mentions me, you're going to say, who is the Lord? Displaced dependence will do that. You can feel get so far from God like that, that you can doubt he even exists even though he's right there with you. Last thing, determined defiance. The Lord calls them stiff-necked people, the children of Israel, whenever he's talking about withdrawing his presence from them. Stiff-necked is the opposite of being meek and pliable. Is there someone that God has laid on your heart to witness to, but you haven't witnessed to that person? Has God given you an impulse to serve in a specific capacity, but you have refused to do it? Has he laid 
something on your heart that he wants you to give? Has he laid someone on your heart that you need to apologize to and to forgive and to reconcile with? Has God been telling you that uh, uh, there's someone that uh, you have a wrong relationship with them and you need to break that relationship off? If God has called you and you know it and you are just determined in your defiance to do what he's called you to do, you cannot expect to sense his presence with you. If you have never known his presence, don't say, well, nobody can ever really know his presence because there are a lot of people that do. And you can too. I tell you this as a matter of fact because there was a time in my life when I thought I was a Christian, but I had no idea that it was because I hadn't really yielded to him and loved him and received what he had done for me. And it was because of that I did not know his presence in my life. The moment that I gave myself to him, that I yielded myself to him, that I turned my will over to him and got out of defiance and haughtiness when it came to serving the Lord and even knowing the Lord or even how I looked at his word. When I became meek and pliable, submitted to him, all of a sudden, he was right there. And all of a sudden, we, in church this morning, we sang the hymn in the garden. And we sang, and he walks with me and talks with me and tells me I am his own. Up until that point, I thought those were just words that some poet had just made up some pretty words. And that was uh, that psalm that the, the, the hymn writers just made up these pretty words to kind of help us to worship. I didn't know. They were sharing the Christian faith. They were sharing their experience. And then I didn't know that there were many people that he was walking with and talking with and telling him that he was there, that they were his own. And now then he does that for me. And brothers and sisters, he can do it for you. All you have to do is quit facing away from him. Face toward him. Be willing to live the life that he has called you to live. That's repentance. Receive the forgiveness that he gave you from the cross. And you'll know his manifest presence in your life. He has promised it in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, right now there are people that are listening to this that uh, have never heard such an absurd thing 
that you can walk in the presence of God. And it's troubled them, and they're wondering today if they have truly been missing out on the very heart of the Christian faith. And Lord, I pray for those people that have come to that point that you would just bring them in and help them to just take that step into your kingdom, into your presence. Help them, Lord, to just receive you and receive what you have done, to be meek and humble before you and say, Lord, I'm sorry. I've been trying to get you to do things my way. I am so sorry. From now on, I want to do things your way. What do you want me to do? I receive your forgiveness and I give my life to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, it's been wonderful being with you today, and I hope that uh, we'll get together again next week. Goodbye, and God bless.